Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we're discussing our relationship with time. If you feel you're too busy to change your life in positive ways, today's show is for you. We will be discussing how combining cutting-edge neuroscience with common sense can change the way we think and act about time. My guest today is Andrew Mellon. He is the Wall Street Journal and Audible best-selling author of the book Unstuff Your Life and a more recent book that we'll be talking about today calling BS on Busy. He has appeared on Oprah, Martha Stewart, and CBS Sunday Morning. Andrew speaks nationally and internationally. Some of his corporate clients include American Express, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and the New York Mets baseball team. He is a longtime practitioner of meditation and mindfulness. There's a prior Yoga Hour episode with Andrew Mellon in the spring of 2014 to discuss his earlier book, Unstuff Your Life. Andrew's website is andrewmellon.com. Mellon is M-E-L-L-E-N, andrewmellon.com. You can follow him on Facebook and Instagram at Andrew Mellon. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Andrew. I'm really delighted you could return as a guest on the podcast. Thanks, Laurel. It's great to be here with you and everybody. Before we dive into our dialogue about our relationship with time, let's begin with a moment of contemplation, uh, a moment to be here, right here and right now. So let's begin by just bringing our attention to our body, feeling our body in space, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or standing, walking or driving, just taking a moment to feel our body and then turning our attention to the surfaces that support our weight. Where are our feet? What part of our weight might be supported in the chair? or on the cushion. And now turning our attention to the breath and just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath on the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. On the exhale, feeling how now that air is warm and just staying with the breath, resting right here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate from a daily inspiration from Yogacharya O'Brien. See time as a temple of God, a doorway, an opportunity for encounter. Time is then sanctified. Instead of trying to control it, we can become fully present to it and move through it into the ever-present now. 
See time as a temple of God, a doorway, an opportunity for encounter. Time is then sanctified. Instead of trying to control it, we can become fully present to it and move through it into the ever-present now. Once again, welcome to the Yoga Hour, Andrew Mellon. As I mentioned, our topic today is changing our relationship with time. For regular listeners who may be wondering what this has to do with yoga, it relates to one of the ethical principles in the first limb of yoga, the yama, or restraint, which is called the right use of vital force. It's about being aware of how we're spending our time. And what better person to talk about that with than my guest today, Andrew Mellon. So Andrew, you started out being known as a professional organizer, and in fact, have been called the most organized man in America, relating to your prior book, Unstuff Your Life. This new book, calling BS on Busy, is about our relationship to time. So what led you to write this book at this time? It... Uh, a couple of things. It It's a natural progression to me of they're interrelated. Uh, how we how we manage our stuff, how we manage our time, they both impact the quality of our life. And often when I was working with whether private clients or coaching or teaching, often one of the stumbling blocks that people had as they were trying to get organized and certainly to stay organized was a story about time. Mm-hmm. And there's not enough time. I'll do it later. I'll do it someday. I will definitely do it, right? One of their 200 lies. I'll definitely do it, but not right now. I don't have the time right now. And while there's a, certainly in the developed world, there's a concept of 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week and 365 days in a year. And we've all gotten on that merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. If you're living off the grid or you're living someplace where you are living just in alignment with the natural progression of time throughout the seasons, that's a different, you have a different relationship with the clock. You might not have a clock or you might have a sundial. <laughs> uh, but if you're, you know, if you're in the developed world, we've got this construct, which is rigid and inflexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how we relate to it is going to impact our happiness and our success and our alignment with the things that are important to us that we're, we're if you're present, to the day, to the moment, you can make different choices than if you feel like you are on that hamster wheel and that the the clock is controlling you. Mm-hmm. It's not any more than the clutter is controlling you. If you have too many things and they're not in their homes and they're not paired up with their siblings, you'll have clutter and disorganization. There'll be dissonance in your living environment, your work environment, your environment, work life, it doesn't really matter that way. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with time. If you, if you have a, a compromised or a fractured or an unconscious relationship with, we'll just call it the clock, it's going to impact 
all of your behavior, it's going to impact how you feel, which informs your behavior. And then if you get poor results, you're likely to use that, um, those results to reinforce a concept or a, a mindset that you have. There's not enough time. Right. Whereas yeah, if you, okay, go ahead. Yeah, just where is, if you can adjust the thinking, then chances are your feeling state will be shifted. You'll take stronger, clearer actions, more aligned with your values. You'll get superior results, and that will reinforce the thinking as well. I I I often say failure breeds failure, and success breeds success. So the last time you tried something, if you were unsuccessful, you already feel beat up before you try it again. Absolutely. Whereas if you're building on forward momentum and you actually have a success, particularly a surprising success, you were anticipating failure or at least a neutral result and you succeeded, that momentum also buoys you forward and it dispels the myth, one of the 200 lies. And now you're feeling empowered of, oh, I didn't think I was going to be able to do that. I did it. I did it successfully. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That, that's great. The reason, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that I think when we talk, this show really promotes meditation. I don't think that's a surprise to you. <laughs> um, and and uh, one of the main reasons that people say they aren't meditating is that they're too busy. Right. And so I really wanted to look at that. And I, one of the things I love about the book is you really go into the stories, you know, that we tell ourselves about, you know, about time. So we'll definitely dive more into that as we go. One of the things that you write in the book is that time management is a myth, which I actually really appreciated. And you point out that what we can learn is how to manage ourselves in relation to time. Would you say more about that? Well, yes. I mean, and I, I think, I think I did preface it or set it up in, in what we were just talking about. And the, again, the clock does what the clock does. You, you would be, we could say foolish to pretend otherwise. You don't have to join it, but it is moving. And you either get right with that concept or the dissonance is in you. Right. And because uh, the clock is... It, it, the clock is neutral. The clock doesn't, it's not out to get you. It's not stealing your time. It's not being generous. You're not getting 25 hours because you're a good yogi. You get 24 hours like everybody else does. Right. What you choose to do with it is about you. And so <clears throat> you won't be able to lasso time or stop time or there's nothing you can do to change. You can break the clock. <laughs> Time is still ticking. Right. So the only thing you have control over is yourself. Mm -hmm. And you can make yourself crazy based on the stories you tell yourself about time and how time is elapsing during the day. Mm -hmm. Or you can acknowledge that that's another construct and still have a, a degree of self-determination and governance about how you interact with 
appointments, commitments, lapses of time, and the lapse of time. So I don't mean where you might be checking out, although that is a thing to pay attention to, but I mean the way that time, I suppose, elapses over the day and how it runs and you you get to control all of that. I mean, if you if you're tapped into uh, a sense of autonomy, then it's you have a tremendous amount of power. Even even for many of us, myself included, who trades a certain amount of my time for money, right? I mean, you don't have to be independently wealthy to be able to pull yourself out of the the rat race or the hamster wheel of busyness you you can pause that at any time and you can approach that transactional period of your day where you are trading your time for money with as much autonomy as where your working allows you and and how much you are willing to assert your own boundaries yeah 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 um I know that you are a longtime practitioner of meditation and mindfulness, and it seems to me that part of what you're talking about is bringing mindfulness then to how we spend our time and moving from a mindlessness about just things sort of happening to us and moving to mindfulness. So what do you feel um, has been the impact of your meditation practice on this ability to change your relationship with time? Well, I think sitting, even lying down, (laughs) uh, I'll speak just in the first person. I often experience a, a slowing down of time in the sense that all I'm doing is paying attention to my breathing and observing my thoughts without getting attached to them. And that as self-regulation allows me to move through the day in greater dialogue with, again, what matters to me, how I want to invest my time, where I want to invest my time, uh, what isn't worth my time, which is not about devaluing the other. It's just about valuing what is important to me. My values don't have to be in opposition to something else. They're not, it's not a contest. It's not a competition. So I don't need to diminish the noise or the invitations for me to retain my autonomy. I can acknowledge them and say they're perfectly valid and they're useful to someone somewhere in the world, not to me in this moment. There's something that I value more and I wish to attend to that, direct my attention there, put my energy there uh, and be there. Given that we're the practice is about being here, being in the now, being in the now with this activity, even if the activity is a nap, right? Or a conversation or a snack or a bio break or 
playing with a companion animal. It doesn't matter what it, the activity itself doesn't matter. It's yeah. that I've chosen of all the things I could be doing, this is the thing I am doing and I'm fully present for it. And it, and, and the, the practice as I experience it is not regretting all of the things I'm not doing and being fully present for what I've chosen. And if that then ceases to be pleasing, useful, um, delightful, joyful, I can at any point stop that and do something else or not do something else. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Illustrate, you know, illustrating what I was saying, which is basically taking it from sort of a mindlessness, because a lot of times people people's schedules just happen to them. And I understand. I mean, if you need to be at work at a certain time, I mean that, you know, you can't just decide to show up later, <laughs> maybe come in early. But, um, you know, but, you know, there are constraints and I'm not saying that there aren't. But I think a lot of times in in many ways we do take more of a passive approach and just kind of let things happen. And what you're talking about and what your book does is it gives us a lot of tools to be able to change that, to be able to make the way, make us more conscious of how we're spending our time and therefore then ask the kind of questions that you were just, that you were just alluding to. Like, you know, all right, well, is this where I want to be spent? Do I, how much of this do I need, have to be doing versus how much of it, this is a choice of how I am, you know, maybe procrastinating by doing something, <laughs> doing something else at this moment. So for me, the bottom line is, which you write about in the book, none of us has an infinite amount of time, although we like to think so. And you you even, you write this, you say, or you write, I don't want to be morbid, but you are going to die. I don't know when, I'm not a psychic, but we're all getting kicked off the island at some point. None of us knows exactly when that's going to happen. I don't want you or anyone else getting to the end of this experience thinking, crap, I want to do over. That is not how I wanted this to play out. So I thought you just really, you know, pointed to obviously a great bottom line. And one, the reason that I think this right use of vital force, this I, this question about how we, it, it really applies to how we spend our time. And the big, um, the big kind of umbrella that you put it under, which is what are your values? As you write, you can't prioritize without priorities. <laughs> And you even provide a quiz on the website for people to take so that they can become more aware of, well, what are their priorities? So would you, I know in the book you write about how you, how you mastered your own values and how that really changed your life. Would you say a little bit about that for our listeners so they can have a little bit of an experience of what we're talking about? Sure. Um, I would say that I used to, as I think many, some people do, I had a vague sense of what was important to me, but it wasn't specific. It was, these things matter, those things don't matter, uh, but I hadn't really taken the time to write it down. I also, I did read uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, mm. which was profoundly um, impactful for me. Mm -hmm. And this idea of um, 
how um, people in the concentration camps during World War II, regardless of their physical fitness, when they when they uh, disconnected from their values, rapid decline, regardless of, again, their physical fitness. And some of the, what we might view the frailest people actually were quite hardy and survived because they remained true to what was important to them. Mm -hmm. And that led me to do some writing for myself to get clearer so that it wasn't a vague sense of what's important to me. And in my professional work, I would hear people say, oh, my family is the most important thing to me. And yet they'd be 15 minutes late for their kid's soccer game. Mm -hmm. So in those 15 minutes that you chose to do something else rather than leave the house in enough time to get to your kid's soccer game, your kid experiences you as my mom never shows up on time for my soccer game. That's her reality, right? You are, you've got the story that says, I love my, I would do anything for my family except maybe answer this last email, right? Or return one more phone call or run an errand. Whatever it was that you chose to do in that moment rather than being on time. So it just, it started to, it's, that process for me of looking at so what is important to me and what are my are my actions are my is my behavior in alignment with that or do i have a story that says oh i would this is more important than anything to me but my behavior belied that and i was out of you know not when i say out of integrity it's not it doesn't come with judgment it's just alignment is the lack of friction and tension, mm -hmm. right? I mean, when we think about the middle way, when we think about being in alignment, it's there, it, you're not being pulled off balance. You're, you're, you are in alignment. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're incredibly flexible and responsive from that position. Uh, you're less likely to be buffeted by what again is happening outside of you. And so again, for me, I don't I didn't like that feeling of being buffeted and being responsive or reactive. I wanted to be active. I wanted to actually be doing the things that mattered to me, not not delaying them until I had more time. And one of the big things that I discovered was that lie of this is important. I need a big block of time to address it. So I won't start it until I have that big block of time. And I found for myself that that big block of time, if I didn't set it aside, it was never going to magically appear in my life. There was never going to be a time, right. except maybe two o'clock in the morning when I would actually prefer to be asleep rather than tasking. But there was no time during the waking, the, what we assume of the the typical waking hours where a big block of unstructured, uncommitted time would magically appear and I could dive in. I had to carve it out of the day, put boundaries around it, deflect anything that might try to intrude upon it, and then dive into it. And that all had to be proactively 
manifested or it was never going to happen. I also discovered that probably in 15 minutes, I could do a lot if it was focused and uninterrupted time as well, that some of the story of I must have a full unstructured day to be effective also started to become evident as a, one of my 200 lies of like, oh, I don't really need, I'd like that much time. It's right. not required for me to actually have an impact. Right. No, yeah, that's so great. And one of the uh, illustrations that you use in the book that I was going to ask you about later, but it seems to fit really well here, is the story of the golf balls, pebbles, and sand. Because I think talking about our priorities and figuring out what our priorities are or figuring out what the golf balls are. So would you just share that with our... Sure. Yeah. So I mean, some people might have heard it as like rocks, uh, sand, and um, water. Uh, and it, it doesn't really matter. The illustration that the video that I found, I, the, the teacher, the professor was using golf balls. So I was like, okay, we'll let go of the rocks. We'll, we'll migrate to golf balls. If you think about it. So he has a jar and he's in front of a classroom and he says, you've got this, these many golf balls, this much sand and some water, and you need to fit it all in this jar. Um, what should I put in first? And if you put in the sand first, there's no room for the golf balls. But if you put in the, and so if we think of the sand being smaller activities, tasks, um, less valuable, less significant, they occupy less space individually, a grain of sand compared to the size of a golf ball. So right. if the golf balls are the things we value the most and we fill up the jar with sand, we will never have enough room in the jar for the golf balls. If instead we put the golf balls in first and then flow the sand around the golf balls, it it seems miraculous that so much sand and the golf balls will fit in the same, they take up the same volume of space. And then you can pour water into the jar and it even creates more space as the sand is shifted around and the golf balls are shifted around. So it, it again pokes holes in those stories that we have about there isn't enough time. I can't get it all done. Of course, <clears throat> you can't get it all done if what you want to do is all the things in the world. You can do the most important things to you yeah. if you prioritize them. So if you make it a priority to get the golf balls in the jar and you focus on those and flow the sand, the, the daily maintenance of your life, the low impact, low, uh, low benefit activities that we still want to do, those could be hobbies, those could be distractions, might be watching television. Those things can flow around the other important activities and you'll have enough time for both of those if you want to go to med school and you're smart enough to go to med school you could go to med school you just have to be prepared that now you're going to dedicate eight to 12 years of your life in the pursuit of a medical degree it doesn't mean that you shouldn't or that you can't do it you could do it you would just have to then be willing to surrender some of the other things that you might have been doing or wanting to do in those eight to 12 years. It, it's the time is ours to do with as we choose. So I could go back to med school. I don't want to more than I want to continue my work. Right. 
And I'm glad about that because I really value your work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Uh, So you write in the book, mindset matters, attitude matters, the way you think about your life matters as much as the things you do, maybe more, because how you think and feel determines what you do. You also write, you can't change your relationship with time without changing how you think, feel, and interact with it. And then you talk about moving from narrative to math-based goals. Would you, how does that work? So we often say, I'm going to work on this until it's finished. Mm. Or, I mean, we we could use the word done. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It doesn't really matter. I I remember some uh, slightly um, uh, sharp feedback at one time, you know, meat is done, people are finished. So I, I took that to heart and figured, okay, well, we'll use the word finished. It doesn't really matter. Done is in the vernacular as another, as an, as an equivalent of finished. Uh, instead of saying, I'm going to work on something till I'm finished, when finished can't easily be defined. We don't always know what finished looks like or feels like until it actually occurs particularly in anything that's creative, but even necessarily in cleaning the garage or organizing the pantry. You don't, you will know what a load of wash looks like when it's finished because it's a finite number of garments or textiles that went into a washing machine, moved into the dryer, got hung up on a line and then was folded and put away. That we can track what finished is because we started with a finite number of things. But for many things, we don't know what finished is until finished happens. And it's hard to budget the time to finish if finish is the goal. Because it might take you nine hours, it might take you 37 minutes. So instead of aiming for finished, if instead you say, I'm going to work uninterrupted for this amount of time, whether that's 15 minutes, two hours, seven minutes, as a rule, barring ADHD or any neurodivergency where it's challenging to stay focused for a particular period of time, for anybody who has that challenge or condition, I encourage you to find out where your attention span naturally dissipates. So if it's six minutes, that becomes your sweet spot. If it's nine minutes, awesome. It doesn't, don't get attached to what you discover, just use it to your benefit. But barring ADHD or some other neurodivergency, let's just say on the low end, we're going to work for no less than 15 minutes. The brain science tells us after three hours, there's diminishing returns. So don't work for more than three hours uninterrupted. Then you need a break to, in essence, reboot or reframe your, your attack at whatever you're doing. So if those are our parameters, 15 minutes on the low end, three hours on the high end, set a timer for a finite amount of time and working uninterrupted now becomes how we define the task. So were you successful at working mono attention focused on one thing for that window of time? That means you were successful. So whether you wrote nine emails or one really good email, whether you wrote 500 words or three chapters, the progress is not your concern. Working uninterrupted for a finite period of time is your only objective. 
Again, going back to failure breeds failure, success breeds success. If you can work uninterrupted for 15 minutes, you were successful. And those just get stacked up. Eventually, enough of those will lead you to where you now assess your progress and go, oh, it it would appear that I am now finished. (laughs) The garage is empty and it is organized or the pantry has been reorganized or I did finish the third quarter report. Right, right. There's okay. no more revisions that need to be done. It's ready to distribute. So right. you, but in some ways that's a byproduct of working uninterrupted for a finite period of time. It it clarifies where your focus is and it also trains you in a good way, you know, not not like a Pavlovian kind of training, but it trains you to protect the time, whatever it is, without you distracting yourself or other people interrupting you so that you can work in a focused, deliberate, concentrated way for a finite period of time. That is so great. And I'm going to come back to a part of that in just a sec. But I did want to remind our listeners that uh, today my guest on the Yoga Hour is author Andrew Mellon. Andrew is the author of the book we're discussing today, Calling BS on Busy. There it is. <laughs> a practical guide to ditching the time management myth and quickly achieving your goals. Andrew is also the host of the podcast, Declutter Your Life. You can find out more about Andrew and his programs on his website, andrewmellon.com. M-E-L-L-E-N is Mellon, andrewmellon.com. That link will be on our webpage at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. Getting back to what we were talking about, Andrew, I really wanted to give you a chance to talk about this this myth from a cognitive science perspective of multitasking, because one of the things that you really made a point of is uninterrupted, uninterrupted time. So would you say a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, well, interruptions that we t- I talk about them in the book, right? It's They're one of the eight deadly time thieves. Interruptions over committing, poor planning multitasking, meetings, email, social media, and procrastination. So the uninterrupted time means that you are, you'll get a much clearer sense of how quickly you work, how well you work, uh, where like any other practice, you'll, you'll be able to build momentum and, um, have greater impact in those blocks of time, the more you work uninterrupted, you'll see, oh, this is what I can actually accomplish when nothing is intruding. And I'm also, I don't love the image of blinders on. I mean, I don't think that they're, you know, it comes from horses and this idea of uh, trying to, again, train a mammal to do one thing and prevent it from being distracted by things around it. I mean, I get, I get it's important in some way. And I don't like the idea of us having to put blinders on uh, as if we, as if with practice, we can't avoid distracting ourselves. Right. So, so just to, just to have that be a part of that as it relates specifically to multitasking, 
I say often, you can't perform open heart surgery and bake a cake at the exact same time. You can do them sequentially, but you cannot do them simultaneously. And even we have the story that says, well, I can talk on the phone and do the dishes, but you can't really. Mm -hmm. The brain science tells us there's at least a 10 point decrease in our IQ as soon as we start to multitask and our productivity drops by up to 40%. So the reality is you think you're doing both, but you're either really focused on a little bit of food that's stuck to the bottom of a plate. So you're not really paying attention to the conversation because you're zeroed in on that food scrap. Or you're really listening to the conversation and you're washing those dishes much longer than you need to because you're really engrossed in the conversation. And this is this is a rote behavior that you're not actually paying attention to. They did a great study at the University of London with 1,100 workers, specifically around multitasking with electronic media. Mm-hmm. And they discovered that <clears throat> if you are juggling electronic devices and attempting to multitask, you uh, you are less effective than somebody who has not slept in a 24-hour cycle or somebody who's high on marijuana. So, right, the story we have is I am a, this is my superpower. I am, I'm firing on all cylinders. I'm knocking it out of the park. And the reality is that somebody who pulled an all-nighter or somebody who's stoned is actually more attentive to what they're doing than you are as you're attempting to multitask. And we can see it, it's most uh, visible manifestation and one of, with often tragic consequences is attempting to text and drive, uh, operate a motor vehicle, right? I mean, you think, oh, I'm just looking down at my phone for a second. The reality is that if you're on an expressway and you're traveling at 60 miles an hour, you're covering 400 feet every second. Chances are the car that's in front of you is closer than 400 feet, mm-hmm. right? We seldom drive with that much space between us. Mm-hmm. And so we have, again, that story that, oh, I've got I've got great resp- reflexes and responsivity. I'm super attentive. I can afford this. And you you can't. And certainly the people around you didn't sign on for your one of your 200 lies that, oh, you can you don't need to pay attention to what you're doing. We'll all pay attention to what we're doing and we'll cut you some slack. You can you can look away from the road and we'll compensate for you. I mean, it's just it's I don't know how many times we have to see people on talk shows who are, you know, who are now in full body casts, if they were lucky enough to survive from just looking away for a second. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Not to be, you know, not to, not to be a downer. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great example. And I, I was thinking about, I mean, you really have to be conscious of it because the way the automatic settings are not your friend. Even in our conversation a couple of times, you know, I've had a, you know, the, an email like pop up and, Mm. you know, if something appears on your screen, your eyes are going to go there. And I just haven't disabled that, which I should, because I'm not going to do anything else during the show besides the show. So why is that happening? But it does. And I, you know, it's an automatic setting and I just haven't, I just haven't figured out how to make it not happen. Um, I really wanted to spend some time because 
um, I, I love how your book is so approachable in that there are a lot of time management systems, time management, <laughs> which we've already talked about as a myth, but that they're so cumbersome that it actually, in order to save 45 minutes, it might take you an hour <laughs> to set up the whole thing. So what I like about your system is it's really simple. And as you point out, you only the only three things you need are a timer, a stopwatch, and a calendar. And those are simple. And most people have them already if they have a smartphone. If not, they're very inexpensive. You don't have to go out and spend a lot of money on, on folders and tabs or, <laughs> or, or a new app or whatever. So would you explain the significance of each of the tools and how to use them uh, effectively? So starting with the timer. Sure. The timer is, again, now in some ways your, um, your super consciousness right you you can defer to the timer you don't have to pay attention to the 15 minute increment or the 2 hour increment that you're working the timer is going to do the work for you so again you can just task and i don't want tasks to sound again like laborious or painful necessarily right it's just you're engaged in an activity whatever the activity is so it allows you to be fully present for the activity without having part of your consciousness monitoring the clock. How long have we been working for? When is the timer going to go off? Yeah. I think also often when we begin a meditation practice and we're sit sitting, if, if you're doing Zazen or you're, or you're just doing a seated meditation practice, part of your mind is on how long have I been sitting? Hasn't this been <laughs> 10 minutes yet? Where's the bell? Why, why, why is nobody ringing the bell? Ha haven't I been, haven't I been doing this for a, a while? And you don't have to, it's, it's not your job. If you're using an app, if there's somebody in the room who's going to ding the bell and tell you that the meditation is complete, it's not your job. You you just, your job is to focus on your breath and be present. Yeah. So it's the same, it's, it's a similar application off the cushion is if you say you're going to go work in the garage for 15 minutes, set the timer. And then you don't have to pay attention to like, how long have I been out here? You know, it seems like I've been out here for hours. No, it's been 12 minutes or, oh my God, it's 15 minutes already. I thought that I, I feel like I just started either way. You're, you don't have to monitor the time. The timer is going to do that for you. So it just, it just frees up more bandwidth to be fully present for what's going on. Cause part of you is not keeping score. The stopwatch is for all of those things that you have a story about, but you don't actually have data. So you think takes me an hour to do a load of wash. Well, does it take you exactly 60 minutes? Does it take you 49 minutes? Does it take you an hour and 12 minutes? My washing machine has a digital readout. So it tells me that a load of wash is 47 minutes unless I choose an extra rinse, which now it goes up to one minute, one, uh, one hour and two minutes. So the washing machine is keeping score. I don't have to pay attention to that. The, the washing machine will do it. And if I choose to have the ding on, it will alert me that the hour and two minutes has gone off and now it's time to take the clothes and put them into the dryer. Likewise, the dryer has a setting. It'll I can set it for 40 minutes or I can set it until it's dry and it gives me a readout based on how it senses the, the dampness in the, in the clothing as I put it in. This will take about an hour and 12 minutes. And again, I'll get a ding. I don't have to monitor that. 
if you don't have a machine that does that and you and you're you're trying to complete the laundry in a timely fashion as opposed to I'm going to start the load of wash at some point during the day. I'll move it from the washing machine into the dryer. And then at some later point during the day, I'll move it from the dryer into a basket. And then before bedtime, I'll fold it. It's helpful to know, well, so how long did it take you to move it from the washing machine to the dryer? And then how long did it take you to fold the clothes so that you can you can accurately budget for that amount of time. If you have a story that grocery shopping takes me 45 minutes, I know where everything is in the store. Does it really take you 45 minutes? We like round numbers, even though it's an odd number, we like round numbers. Like that'll take me 15 minutes. That'll take me a half an hour. That'll take me 45 minutes. That'll take me an hour. Does it, or does it take you 47 minutes? Does it take you 39 minutes? Does it take you 12 minutes? knowing how long things actually take you to do, again, it dispels the myth that I don't have enough time to start this because I need I, I need imaginary amount of time based on my desire and no math, as opposed to I need 12 minutes to do this. Do I have 12 minutes in my calendar? Where do I have 12 minutes? Excellent. I'm going to slot this in there. So that's how that's how we use the stopwatch. Neither of these tools are intended to be gotcha tools. So we are not using the data that we gather to shame ourselves or humiliate ourselves of like, oh my God, I'm crazy. I thought this took this amount of time. It actually takes that amount of time. It's just information. So don't use it to beat up on yourself if you discover that your imaginary quota doesn't meet the actual amount of time you need. And then the calendar is so that you schedule everything. If you don't make an appointment with yourself, if you just think you're, again, if you're writing notes on the back of an envelope or you're scribbling a bunch of post-its out, <clears throat> but they don't actually make it onto your calendar and you make an appointment with yourself to do something, I mean, appointments with other people or appointments with yourself, uh, if you don't make the appointment, is it likely to happen? It, it will if you're inspired, if you are motivated in that moment, if you've run out of excuses for procrastination. But otherwise, how likely is something to happen if it isn't booked onto your calendar? In my world, very unlikely. I I built I book those appointments with myself so that I have dedicated time. I've already committed to it. It's aligned with my values. So it's the most important thing for me to doing it at that moment or that, for that block of time. And then I get it done. And uh, I, I I just find running your life on the the palm of notes scribbled on the palm of your hand, the back of your hand, a post-it, an envelope is not a recipe for success. If if what you want to do is be efficient, if you just want to have an experience, you can continue to have the edges be fuzzy. And again, I, I want to be clear, you know, um Jenny O'Dell has a new book out uh also about time. Uh and the idea of how various cultures interact with time, which I think is really interesting. I, I, I am, uh, and she talks about her own 
I mean, I haven't read the book, but I've heard her. I heard her on uh, on a radio show the other day, right? And how her historic relationship with time caused her a degree of anxiety and and agitation. And so, I want to be clear that the idea behind being productive is not to turn anybody into a robot. Right. It is just that when you want to be effective and efficient. You should have the tools to do that. And if you want to lay in a hammock and read a book, be all in the hammock and reading the book. Don't be partly reading the book and partly stressing yourself out about all the things you could be or should be doing instead of reading the book in the hammock. If if you've budgeted the time and you want to spend a day reading a book, I want you to be able to do that without guilt, shame, something else competing for your attention so that you have, you're all present for whatever it is. And only you know whether it's in alignment with your values or you're stealing time from the future. And again, it just creates that lose-lose proposition where you don't really enjoy what you're doing because you know you have a story that's the knowing you have a story that says when this is finished, I'm going to have to now pay that time back. Well, what a crappy, what a crappy construct to put on top of yourself. So you just feel miserable doing the thing that you wanted to do. And then when you have, have to do the thing that you avoided doing, you feel crappy doing that too, because in essence, you had stolen some of that time to do the other thing. So now you're regretting that other thing while you're doing this thing. It just makes, it sets us up for that, for that um, uh, perpetual, it, it colors the future thing or the thing that we had been avoiding. It reinforces the sense that it's an unpleasant thing because it comes with the shame and the judgment and the it's punitive that ugh, now I have to do the thing that I was avoiding. Well, you're never going to do it with enthusiasm or buoyancy or speed if it feels like you're it's debt, it's time debt that you're having to pay back. Yeah. So that's the double lose, right? You didn't enjoy the thing you 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 took the time away to do. And now, now as you're doing the thing, you're also doing it with a chip on your shoulder. And with love, I say, you put the chip on your shoulder. The beautiful thing is you can knock the chip off your shoulder, right? You can, you can just do the thing with, in a neutral way without any color on it. You're in control of that. Yeah. So many things that I would want to comment on about what you just said. So first of all, um, that idea of the stopwatch, you know, and really knowing how long tasks take, because how often have I postponed a task? And then when I actually did it, I was like, oh, that was, I mean, that was like nothing. I should have done that when I was supposed to, like a week or two ago, whatever it was. And so it's a really uh, empowering kind of an approach to actually figure out, okay, well, let's see, let's see if there's a reality to, you know, my fear that it's going to take an hour or whatever it is. Um, so I think that that is a, you know, a great suggestion. And again, it's a tool that we have 
that I personally haven't been using. So I think it's I think uh, it's something that I'm gonna try. It's gonna be great. Um, and then I just wanted to underline again how this all relates to yoga because one of the one of the uh, recommendations of I think pretty much every school of yoga is having a daily schedule and having time. You know, so for example. If you want to make sure that you meditate every day, you have to have a daily schedule. You have to know that you're going to do it, the time that you're going to do it, you have the place to do it, and that's how it gets done. That's how it becomes the golf ball in in the, you know, container and and then everything else kind of fits, you know, around it. So, just wanted to underline that again. Um I wanted to ask one more question. Uh, about this um, Pareto principle, which I think most people know as the 80-20 rule. So what would you like to comment about this 80-20 rule from the perspective of, of looking at how we spend our time? Sure. So Pareto, uh, Vilfredo Pareto was a 19th century economist, discovered 20% of the population in Italy controlled 80% of the land. And then he started to recognize this 80-20 relationship in lots of places. I mean, it's sort of like playing the the VW bug game on the on the expressway or the Volvo game. You're right, like spot the Volvo and suddenly there's all these Volvos on the road that before you were not really paying attention to. So he just started to recognize, oh, this 80-20 is playing itself out in lots of different ways. And so there is... There's an interpretation or a, an understanding of that Pareto principle that 20% of your um, uh, your best work, your best efforts, actually yields 80% of your outcome, your desired outcome. So it really only takes 20% to get the 80% that you want. In my world, uh, and I talk about this in the book, um, the two things that I do in my business that create the greatest revenue and visibility and growth of the business are networking events and public speaking. Every time I speak, every time I speak, there's another opportunity to speak that comes out of it. Somebody in the audience says, oh, that was amazing. Will you come and talk to our group, our organization, this conference, whatever, right? And and likewise, at a networking event, when I tell people I'm a professional organizer and I help people solve problems with time and space, oh, I have, you know, it's like being a doctor. Like, would you just look <laughs> at the mole on my back? I know you're not working, but it's been, it's. I can't tell what's going on and you're a doctor. Would you look at it? It always leads to a conversation because it's an unusual, even this this far along, even with Marie Kondo and, you know, other professional organizers having visibility in the world, it's still novel to people, the idea that somebody would help them with their space and their time. So it leads to opportunities for work and, and relationships. Me writing a blog, me uh, even writing the book, nothing has the same impact as those two things. So the more I, and I'm a, I'm a big introvert. I don't like networking events. I'm very comfortable on a stage. I was a professional actor for 20 years. So talking professionally is very easy for me. M meeting people, shaking their hands and finding my way through small talk to something meaningful almost always feels like running a little micro gauntlet 
I approach it. I try to, you know, I try to reframe it for myself. I mean, I try to bring my tools forward and like just meet three people. That's, that's you just have to meet three people at this event. You don't have to meet them all. Just meet three people, leave with three business cards, three phone numbers, three meaningful conversations, and then you're allowed to leave the event. Typically, after meeting three people, I feel more comfortable and I can stay longer, but I may, I chunk it down into just that for myself. So, right, right. so for me inside my business, the more we have me at networking events and the more we have me on stages, the more the business benefits from it. So I've identified my 20%. And so when the choice is go to a network event or sit at home and write a blog, it's easy for me to distinguish the blog is not going to do anything. It's it's going to elucidate something for somebody at some point, maybe. Networking will definitely do something. It's been proven. So as people, as the listeners are looking at what is your 20% that's going to get you the biggest result and focusing on that because the the simple math of that is if 20% yields 80%, if I just did 40% every day, if I attended one more networking event and spoke on one more stage or did one more webinar in a day, we've now increased the productivity to 160%. Wow. So I could, in essence, blow off the remaining 60% of the day, and I would have already had a 100% increase over my productivity. Wow. So the, the geometric improvement is stunning. So whatever your 20% is, if you just did 20% more of it, right, now you're getting 160% of the value out of only 40% of your effort. Wow. So it's, I mean, it's just, it's a stunning statistic and so I being clear about what your 20% is, what is it that delivers the greatest results? And then just double down on that. It, you'll blow your productivity up. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Uh, it's a really, really great uh, rule of thumb and, and great thing for people to think about. What yeah. is my what is my 20%? Unbelievably, time has passed. <laughs> In closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? Uh, take a, take an action. Uh, I mean, I'd say definitely if you haven't done any core value exercises in the last 12 months, sit down, set a timer for 25 minutes and do some core value exercises and just get very clear for yourself about what today, what's the most important thing for you. And then take an action, um, get out of your head, uh, and, and get into action. Make sure your mindset is, is um, forward, is right, correct for you, right? That you're thinking positively, that you're feeling empowered. Uh, if you're talking crap to yourself with love, knock it off. Uh, recognize that you are, you're bringing poison to the well. You don't have to feel bad about it. We all do it. It's just that when you bring awareness to it, stop it redirect that energy into something that serves you and serves the people around you. And if you are thinking better, you'll feel better. And if you feel better, you'll take better actions. And if you take better actions, you'll get better results. And that will reinforce the thinking. So it doesn't matter what you did yesterday, it's gone. Yeah. In this moment right now, 
what do you want to do? What's important to you? How can you make a choice that has the greatest impact for you and the world, whether your the world is your child or you're curing cancer, it doesn't really matter. But whatever that is, go there, be there, which is really being here and start from there and it just wipe the slate clean. It doesn't matter. You, your past behavior doesn't matter. Today, this moment right now is the only moment when you have agency to impact anything. So cherish it, use it wisely, and um, be generous with it. Fantastic advice. <laughs> You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. My guest today has been author and professional organizer, Andrew Mellon. The book we've been talking about is calling BS on Busy. You can find out more about it at Andrew's website, andrewmellon.com. Again, mellon, M-E-L-L-E-N.com. You can also follow him on Facebook and Instagram at Andrew Mellon. These links will be on our webpage at theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining me today on The Yoga Hour. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. For listeners, we hope you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the sponsor of this program, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. CSE offers daily online meditation in the morning at 6.30 a.m. Pacific. The afternoon, it's at 4 p.m. and Monday evenings at 7.30. Again, all those times are Pacific time. There's also a Sunday satsang. Satsang is a gathering of truth seekers that happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each week. One upcoming event that you may want to participate in. There's a Kriya Yoga Meditation Retreat with Yogacharya O'Brien, which is coming June 22nd to 25th. It's either in person or online, and it's open to everyone. And again, check out uh, the Kriya Yoga Today podcast with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more information about these events at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment website, csecenter.org. Join me next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be joined by Dr. Rachel Turo, author of the Self-Talk Workbook. We'll be discussing how we can transform that inner voice that often offers us more criticism than self-compassion. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember, you can subscribe to the show and the most effective way to spread the word is for you to tell a friend. If you can, that would be great. We'd appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, Christine Sot, and Lauren Leidinger. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. <laughs>